The Heart Home Channel presents the most heartwarming Christmas movie of the holiday season. Holly's mom. Are you coming home for the holidays? I don't know, Mom. I'm so busy at work. When a New York City financial advisor gets a distressing call to come home to Pine Grove for the holidays. Honey, the shop's in trouble. I'm afraid if we don't do something, we'll go bankrupt. What? Why didn't you say something sooner? Mom, I'm a financial advisor. I can help. The last thing on her mind is falling in love. Oh, sorry. Did you want this Christmas tree? No, please, go ahead. You saw it first. But with a bit of Christmas joy and magic. I couldn't possibly. Please, take it. I insist. No, no, it's all yours. Please, I'll buy this other one instead. Ah! Well, I got you. <laughs> Gotta be careful with those sneaky patches of ice. She might just get her second chance at love. Ho, ho, ho. I know what you want for Christmas. I saw a spark between you and Christian. <sighs> you think? He's perfect for me, but he's married and has a daughter. Oh, he was married. He's been widowed for a few years. Really? But sometimes, love isn't as easy as one, two, three. How could you betray me like this, Christian? The store's been in my family for generations. You know how much it meant to me. Holly, wait! Wait, Holly, wait! There's been a misunderstanding. But the Christmas spirit will always help wayfaring souls come together. Huh? This is... the deed to my family's store? Why are you giving it to me? Holly, I... Wait a second. You weren't buying my family's business to snatch it out from under them. You were trying to save it and give it back to them debt-free. Merry Christmas, Holly. Merry Christmas, Christian. I love you. I love you too, Holly. Oh, look. Mistletoe. Hey, don't forget about me. Of course not, Tinsel. Come on. Group hug. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> and a Happy New Year. A Christmas in Pine Grove. Coming up next on the Hobbit Channel. Hi, sweetie. It's Mom. Hi, Mom. You know you don't have to say that, right? Your number's in my phone. I know, I know. Listen, sweetie, can we talk? Uh, it'll have to be quick. I'm heading out the door for a meeting. Oh. Maybe I can call you after work? No, no. This won't take long. I just wanted to know whether you were coming home for Christmas this year. I, uh... I don't know, Mom. I'm juggling a bunch of deals right now. We're closing on two next week. Look, sweetie, I don't want to worry you. But your dad isn't doing well. What? We video chatted last week. He looked fine. Well, you know how proud your father is. We're also having trouble with the shop. Between treatments and everything. The bank's threatening to repossess it. You know how much the shop means to your father. Mom, I... Holly, the driver's waiting. Hurry up. 
Mom, I gotta go. Please say you'll come for Christmas. It'll do your dad good. I'll think about it. Today, Holly. I gotta go. Bye. Love you. Love you, sweetie. I cut the call, grabbed my coat, and ran to the elevator. My boss looked sour and gave me a lecture on priorities, which I tuned out. Just how bad was Dad's condition? Why hadn't he told me he was sick? The meeting went fine, despite needing to be snapped back to attention a few times by my boss. I don't know whether he realized something was wrong. He was the cold, selfish type. That evening, my work friend Aisha and I met for drinks, and I told her about Mom's call. I think you should go, even if it's just for a day or two. I can't. I'm handling the Lewis Clement merger, and then there's the McAvoy Constructions deal, and the Bradford... Oh, come on, you, you've got worried written all over you. You should go, I'll cover for you. Don't worry, be with your family. I couldn't possibly impose. How about I cover you for Christmas, and you cover me for New Year's? A fair trade, no? Oh, and you're buying tonight, deal? All right, all right. It's a deal. Besides, I've always wanted to know what it felt like sitting in that big chair of yours. <laughs> you mean my standard-issue company chair that's identical to yours? Um, yours is burgundy. I bet burgundy is cozier. And that was that. We worked out the details and went over our respective client files the next day. The boss didn't care, as long as the deals didn't fall through. They were ironclad, so I wasn't worried. That's how, two days before Christmas, I wound up on a plane and a long bus ride from New York City to my tiny hometown of Pine Grove, Montana, swapping high-rises for snowy mountains. At the bus station, Mom greeted me with a serving of fruitcake and sloppy wet kisses. Her enthusiasm was overwhelming, and I chided myself for not visiting more. Mom looked... I can't quite put my finger on it, but younger than she had last time we'd video chatted. Granted, the shitty Wi-Fi and bad camera angle didn't do her any favors, but something looked vaguely different. Almost like she'd gotten a facelift or something. Hey, Mom, you look good. Did you, uh, change your hair? Thanks, honey. Nope. It's the wonderful fresh mountain air. It'll do you good, too. Look at you, you're so pale. Come on, eat up. Let's get you home. I left your room just the way you like it. Oh, uh, thanks. Come on into the car. Give me those bags. Relax. We'll go see your father once you're settled in. He's not home? Is he... He's at the store, don't you worry. Don't worry? Easier said than done. There was something odd about being home. The fresh air mom boasted about didn't feel as fresh as I remembered. The sounds of a quiet town didn't sound quite right. I hoped it was just my ears popping from the plane, but I could have sworn some of the noises were repeating. There was a little girl at a park across the street squealing and throwing snowballs at her brother, and I kept hearing the exact same squeal. Same intonation, duration, volume, everything. Call me paranoid, but as we headed to the car, I pulled out my phone recorder app to re-listen later. My bus was still parked at the station as we started down the road. Its driver had gone inside, 
presumably to use the restroom or to get a coffee or something. But as we hit a few snowy bumps, the bus in the rearview mirror just disappeared, taken away like a drawing on an Etch-a-Sketch. I know, that sounds ridiculous, but it wasn't at the stop, it wasn't parked in the terminal lot, and it wasn't driving down the single straight road out of town. Jet lag, I told myself as I shuddered. Mom turned on the radio, filling the car with Christmas music. Pine Grove isn't a big town. As far as small towns go, it's exactly what you expect. A main street intersecting town square, quaint shops, quaint houses, a low population of 3,000, and a single small school collecting students from all the nearby villages. From the bus terminal at the mouth of Pine Grove to my parents' place was only a 20-minute drive. And during that drive, I couldn't help noticing just how much they decked the halls this year. Every storefront, every house, even the mailboxes were adorned with Christmas lights and garlands and all manner of decorations. Everything looked so perfect, so picturesque. I didn't recognize my own childhood home as we pulled up to it. Huh. You never mentioned you did renovations. We didn't, honey. Did you repaint? Nope. The unsettling feeling at the pit of my stomach grew. I asked a few more times, but Mom insisted they hadn't changed anything, except for adding Christmas cheer. And, looking at it closely, I had to admit I couldn't say exactly what was different about it. I sighed and went inside dropping my things off in my bedroom. It was the way I'd left it all those years ago, right down to my tattered childhood blanket still draped over an antique rocking chair in the corner. Honey, would you mind bringing lunch to your dad? You know how hangry he gets. Perfect, I thought. I was anxious to see how dad was doing and eager to look at the books. Mom handed me a paper bag, apologizing for making me run errands so soon after arriving. I assured her it was fine. I'd come home to make myself useful, not sit in my childhood room staring at the walls. The bell above the shop door had been swapped with a pair of sleigh bells, which, in my opinion, are the most obnoxious of bells. Dad was sweeping the floor and looked up when he heard their jingling. He certainly didn't look sickly. His excited grin nearly split his face in two as he ran over and squeezed me tight the familiar smell of his soap quickly replacing the scent of the antiques. You might have noticed I've been rather vague on the details of the store, and that's because it's hard to categorize. I suppose you could call it a souvenir shop? Home decor? It's a bit of a mishmash of crafts from local artisans. Everything from paintings to ornate chairs to wind chimes to candle holders. If you've been to a small town, you've seen a store just like it likely with stained glass ornaments in the windows. As I live and breathe, if it isn't my little Holly. Hey, Dad. Brought you lunch. Ah, aren't you a sweetheart? Come, come, have a seat. Get comfortable. How have you been? Would you like some hot cocoa? I could make you some hot cocoa. We have marshmallows. (laughs) I'm good, thanks. Mom tells me you haven't been feeling well? I caught an odd look on his face. A sort of lack of recognition that drew heat out of my extremities. What? 
Oh, oh, right, right. Yes, that. Had a bit of an accident with a hammer. Broke my thumb. Huh? That's all? I hadn't meant to sound so callous. Sorry, I mean, Mom said the shop was in trouble. You missed a lot of work? Well, I might have missed a day or two for doctor's appointments, but now, look, she's as good as new. He gave me a thumbs up and proceeded to wiggle it as proof. But then why's the store in trouble? Listen, honey, would you mind doing me a favor? I haven't gotten around to picking out a Christmas tree yet. Why don't you go buy the nicest tree you can find and bring it home? Sanderson's Arboretum set up in Town Square this year. I'll close up shop early and we can have dinner together. As he said this, Dad physically shooed me out like a raccoon that had snuck in through the cat door. Sleigh bells jingled as the shop door opened and closed, and I was back to smelling that odd mimicry of fresh air. I tried pushing my way back in, but Dad waved me off, and I relented, knowing how stubborn he was. I peeked through the window, catching Dad hurrying behind the counter, his face twisting in worry as he dialed the phone. He gesticulated with some urgency. I tried to read his lips, but all I could make out was the word script. As in, a prescription? Was he off his meds? Did he take meds? The more I thought about it, the deeper anxiety's claws dug into me. Dad said we needed a Christmas tree, but hadn't I seen one in the living room earlier? Funny how I can handle multi-million dollar mergers without breaking a sweat, but it only takes a few hours back home for me to start overanalyzing my entire life. In any case, I walked across the street to Town Square. In the winter, they set up a skating rink and booths for cocoa and coffee and pastries and all that good stuff. Sanderson's Arboretum had its own dedicated corner that, from a distance, could be mistaken for a hedge maze. I headed towards it, and passed a Santa on a candy cane throne. He let out his ho, 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 Merry Christmases to all who walked by, eyes following me like a painting. I forced a smile and nodded hello, but like everything else in Pine Grove, something about him didn't sit well with me. I walked around looking at the furs and trying to find the easiest to haul home. Then I saw it, standing at the end of a row of scraggly little trees. It was decent. A fair size, good coverage, didn't look infested with termites. What more can you want in a tree? I reached into it to grab it by the trunk so I could take it up to the register. But as I did, another arm also reached inside. I admit, at this point, I got a bit belligerent. Chalk it up to a long day and the cumulative stress of all the weirdness I'd been immersed in. Or, I don't know, maybe years of living in New York had given me an attitude. Back off, buckaroo. It's mine. No, please, go ahead. You saw it. Wait, what? I said it's mine. I craned my neck past the branches to try and give him the look. But as soon as I saw the owner of the voice, I had this intense, visceral reaction. It was like everything in my body was rejecting him, right down to my bone marrow. You hear about soulmates and love at first sight, and this was kind of like that, except the opposite. He wasn't a soulmate. He was the antithesis of one. 
Everything from his charming smile to his perfectly unkempt dad beard to his plaid button-up shirt sent me reeling in ways I never thought possible. I don't typically judge people based on appearances, and I don't think that was necessarily what I was doing. There was just something about him that rang hollow, like a fake wall you instinctively know not to put your weight on, even though it's painted exactly like all the rest. His stupid dimples, his stupid blonde brown swooshing hair, his stupid square jawline, and that stupid look of utter confusion on his face like he couldn't process what I'd said. It was a primal, deep, immovable sense of disgust that came simply by looking at him. And then he grabbed my hand. Listen, I... I felt myself suppressing a dry heave. Yeah, it sounds like a bit much, but there was... Something about him that felt like cockroaches under my skin. And yet the Christmas music had turned into this kind of magical, anticipatory strumming, like it was heralding some sort of messed-up, meet-cute moment. He tried to meet my eyes, but I tugged my hand free and stepped away. Careful now, it's slippery. I hit a patch of ice, but easily steadied myself by planting my other foot into the ground like a magician's staff. And this stranger... He had the gall to hold his arms out as though to catch me in my non-fall. Here, let me help you. Piss off, I thought, though I managed a very curt, I'm fine, instead. Then, from behind a row of Christmas trees, as though waiting for her cue, a girl in pigtail braids came running at the man and wrapped her arms around his waist. Daddy, Daddy, I found the perfect tree. She was probably in her late preteens, a bit old to call someone daddy, but who am I to judge? She had the big, bright, excitable eyes of a girl who sewed adventure and melodrama wherever she went. The kind of child who never shuts up, and never waited long enough after asking a question for you to answer before she asked another. Basically, she seemed like a caricature of a Lucy Montgomery character. You know... An Emily of New Moon or Anne of Green Gables type of kid. That kind of personality is fine on TV, but in real life, it's nothing short of obnoxious. She hadn't stopped flapping her gums since her arrival, though I wasn't paying attention to her story about a noble Christmas tree or whatever the hell she was going on about. I turned to leave with my tree while Daddy was distracted. Oh, who says she's pretty? This is my new friend. New friend? New friend? The absolute nerve! The audacity! And I think his voice trailed off in the hopes that I'd introduce myself, but I was having no part in this. I offered them the only modicum of courtesy I could manage, waving as I walked off with my tree. It turned out to be a Fraser fir, by the way. No wonder it was so full. I heard sleigh bells as I dragged the tree across town square cursing myself for not parking closer. Santa was still on his throne of judgment, ready to shell out unsolicited advice. Ho, ho, there, young lady. I think I saw some sparks between you and that Christian shepherd lad. Seems you've caught his eye. Oh, my God, I thought to myself. If you were to tell me two days ago that I'd be swearing at a glorified mall Santa to mind his own business, I would have called you insane. And yet... 
Oh my fucking fuck. Piss the fuck off, motherfucker. Is it bad that it felt really good? Ho, ho, ho. If I knew you swore like a sailor, I would have gotten you a boat for Christmas instead of a handsome young man. Oh, I see. You must be worried about the child. Oh, it's quite sad. Poor Tinsel lost her mother a few years ago. They've been praying for a special someone to come into their lives ever since. They both look rather fond of... They might have been buried too deep in the fir's branches for him to see, but as I stomped off mid-speech, I flipped him two partridges in my bare tree. Getting the tree on the hood of the car was a bit of a challenge, though mostly because I was trying not to scratch anything. Just as I was finishing, however, I heard that dreaded voice again. Christians, not Santa's. Here, let me help you with that. He was certainly persistent. His daughter waited on the sidewalk, holding a cone of roasted chestnuts. I waved him off with irritated impatience. I've got it. I'm basically done. He reached for the strap I was trying to clip, but either on purpose or by accident, he caught my hand. Again. Careful, I've got it. No, dude. I've got it. You are being a creep. Get away from my car right the hell now before I deck your balls. With knees of holly, I finished in my head. Yes, I know. Horrible pun. It was out of my control. No, I take that back. It was a great pun. I stand by it. But this jerkbag didn't deserve my best material. Thankfully... He took a step back, hands in the air in surrender. His little free-spirited snowflake skipped over and her uncannily large eyes watched me like the lenses of a DSLR camera. There was an odd hollowness behind them, like programming automatic lights in an empty house to make it seem like the residents are home. Alyssa Lady from earlier. Hi, I'm Tinsel. This is my daddy. Again with that word. Why did it sound so creepy coming from her? She gripped his winter jacket tightly and beamed a grin so big and bright, it rang false. Even the way her front teeth were slightly askew from gaps formed by her fallen children's teeth looked manufactured. But she was a kid, so I couldn't exactly be a jerk to her. Hi, yeah, I'm Holly. Charmed. I've got to get going. Want some chestnuts? She thrust the cone towards me, and I shook my head as I opened the car door. She kept her hand outstretched while the others squeezed her dad's jacket even tighter. I could see her knuckles growing white. I slipped into the driver's seat. It's okay, Tinsel. Maybe she's allergic. Let's get you home, all right? But, Daddy, I want to talk to the pretty lady. Uh, maybe we could have you over for supper sometime? It'd make Tinsel really happy. Can she be my new mommy? God, he reeked of desperation. Like those douches who borrow their friends' dogs to pick up chicks. Interesting strategy, using your daughter. So pathetic. I'm only in town for a few days. Can you move? I have to get going. Christian reluctantly peeled himself and his little prop off the street. She waved at me enthusiastically as I drove down the road. But once I was far enough, 
I caught that smile of her snapping to neutral like a rubber band. I swear, she was glaring at him. Even she knew how gross her dad was. I tried to wipe the incident out of my mind as I drove back to my parents' place. The house smelled like pot roast. Mom had whipped it up in record time. I set up the tree in the living room, and shortly after, Dad came home. As expected, he dodged my questions about the business, claiming, Come now, let's enjoy the evening. We can talk about that another time. How he thought there was anything more important than saving the shop was beyond me. I wondered if something else was going on, something neither parent wanted to admit. We ate, and I remained mostly quiet as my parents gave me updates on everyone in town. Remember old Alexis down the street? Oh, she died of colon cancer last year. Do you remember your third grade art teacher, Mrs. Doolin? She got hit by a car a few years ago. She's doing well. You know that Taylor boy is single now. Didn't you two date back in high school? It was all dreadfully boring. And the roast? It might as well have been store-bought from how bland it tasted. I found myself salting it repeatedly. It was never quite enough to bring out the flavor. Dad and I got up to do the dishes while Mom sat on a rocking chair, chatting with us from the living room. The doorbell rang, and I thought nothing of it, until I heard that frustrating voice that made me want to tear the drying cloth in two with my bare teeth. Why, hello, Mrs. Evergreen. I've come to... I was across the living room and pushing past my mom before he could finish that thought. Christian stood on the welcome mat, holding a plate of freshly baked cookies in his hands, flanked by his daughter. He feigned surprise when he saw me. Miss Holly, what are you doing here? Mom wrapped an arm around me. Christian, Tinsel, please come in. We were just finishing supper. This is my daughter. She's visiting us for a few days. I take it you two have met. Unfortunately, this asshole's been stalking- Holly, don't be rude. Christian is our neighbor. He's been a great help to your father and I. From the kitchen, I could hear my dad clearing his throat in a very forced, very fake way. The kind of way you do when you're trying to tell your accomplice to shut up. It made me wonder if they were trying to set me up with this guy. Yuck. I stepped away from the door to let Creepo and his kid come in from the cold. We made cookies and Tinsel insisted we share. You haven't had dessert yet, have you? Not yet, no. Thank you so much. That's very sweet of you. Please join us. I'll pour us some milk. Do you have almond? We only drink 2% in this household, young lady. Cool. I'm going to run to the store real quick. Don't eat all the cookies while I'm gone. Christian opened his mouth to protest, but it was Tinsel who beat him to it as she skipped over to the door. No need, we have some, I'll go get it. And just like that, my exit strategy was thwarted by a preteen girl. I awkwardly stood there, a fake smile plastered to my face, barely hiding the crippling feeling of defeat permeating through every inch of my person. If I could have come up with another excuse to leave, I would have. Instead... I was forced to inch my way into the dining room and try to be somewhat polite to Christian, since Mom expected me to keep the peace. I sat down, arms crossed, and asked through gritted teeth, So, Christian, what do you do for a living? Oh, 
Uh, I am my handyman. A handyman? Could there be anything more stereotypical? And a wonderful father. No shit, Sherlock. I'd met the Hellspawn. Sounds exciting. It is. I'm a bit of a jack-of-all-trades. I love being my own boss and setting my own schedule. And with uh, you know, tinsel, it's convenient. I can pick her up from school and all. Don't be so modest. You're also an amazing woodworker. Holly, did you notice the eagle sculpture at the shop? Ah, so he was also an artist on top of being a handyman and a single father. Nope. Oh, well, I'll show you tomorrow. It's amazing. Good. You can show me while I'm looking at the books. There was a moment of awkward silence at the table, and I realized maybe I'd overstepped by alluding to financial troubles. Thankfully, Tensel broke the tension by running back in with a jug of almond milk. Here you go, Miss Holly. Cool. Thanks. The seal was still on the lid. If I didn't know better, I would have sworn the damn thing had been super glued on. Try as I might, I couldn't get the cap off. Christian reached over, and this time, I managed to dodge his grabby hand. He opened the jug with some force and poured me a glass. I don't actually like almond milk. Too sweet for my blood. But I drank the whole thing to save face while Tinsel shoved cookie after cookie down her gob like her stomach was an endless pit. Far be it from me to judge her for having a healthy appetite. I forced myself to eat a cookie. And to Tinsel and Christian's credit, it was pretty good. So, Miss Holly, what about you? What do you do for a living? I work in finance. Wow, that sounds very prestigious. Yeah, I guess. And stressful. Meh, sometimes. Do you ever think of quitting and moving back home? You know, living a simpler life? I'm very happy in New York. But speaking of work, I've got to make a call. If you'll excuse me. I was not wasting that perfect opportunity to get away. I dropped off my plate and glass into the kitchen sink and headed upstairs to my bedroom, dialing Aisha's number. Ugh, it's good to hear your voice. What's up, girl? What's on your mind? I don't know. I've been home for less than a day, and things are... awkward. My parents are being dodgy. I think my dad might have Alzheimer's, and there's this man. Ooh, did you just say a man? Uh, yeah. A weird stalkery type. Apparently, he's the neighbor, but this is the first I've heard of him. He strikes me as the kind of guy who has a collection of molars hidden in the crawl space, if you know what I mean. Girl, you go get yourself that man, hun! What? Didn't you hear what I just said? Molars. In the crawl space. He sounds like a stallion. Oh, girl, you best go ride him all the way to stable and back. Huh? What are you even talking about? I'm not into serial killers. Girl, what you need is a man. Uh, no. What I need is to come back to New York. Follow your heart. He sounds like he'll take good care of you. He might be the one. He's definitely not the one. Girl, you go get yourself that man, hun. Uh, right. Listen, I've got to go. Follow your heart. He sounds like he'll take good care of you. He might be the one. I hung up as she continued to sing the praises of the patriarchy. What the actual hell was that? For one thing, it sounded nothing like the Aisha I knew. I mean, 
It was her voice, but her inflections and word choices were all different. I mean, come on, girl? I don't think I've ever heard her call anyone girl, drunk or otherwise. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with that, it's just not Aisha's thing. And was I out of my mind or had she repeated a few of those sentences word for word with the same intonation and everything? Speaking of repeating, I fell back on my bed and pulled up my voice recorder app to check the soundscape I'd recorded earlier. I could hear mine and my mom's footsteps, the sound of cars passing, and a little girl squealing as she threw snowballs. I listened to the two-minute audio clip over and over again until I was absolutely sure. There were five distinct screams and squeals coming from the little girl, and in the span of two minutes, I heard them at least 20 times with her high pitch, I'll get you, Mike, which had originally caught my attention, featured three times. There we go. I had concrete proof it wasn't all in my head. I was about to listen once more when mom called me back down. The plate of cookies was sitting on the living room table, but Creeper McCreepface and his daughter were gone. It was Tinsel's bedtime or whatever. Wasn't she a bit old to have a bedtime? We idly chatted for the rest of the evening until my parents turned in. I tried to sleep, but I couldn't. Hours had gone by and I was laying awake in bed, going over the day's events, playing the recording over again, while trying to find some sort of logical explanation. Once it was clear that there would be no sleep for me that night, or at least not anytime soon, I decided to go for a walk. I headed outside with a spare key. It was nice to have some peace and quiet, though I kept feeling like I wasn't alone. I trained my ears on the sound of footsteps, but unless I had a team of synchronized swimmers behind me, mimicking my exact footfalls, it was only my imagination. In any case, I was alone with my thoughts, walking a familiar street I'd walked a million times over in my youth, but somehow feeling as though I were in a foreign country. Have you ever heard of Capgrass Syndrome? It's when a person genuinely believes someone in their life has been replaced by an identical double. They look the same, they act the same, but something about them is off. As far as my research goes, it's not meant to apply to whole towns, but as I walked that lonely road, I couldn't help but relate. Maybe it was the smell of the air. As I thought about it, I realized it smelled like heavily diluted, pine-scented air freshener. I groaned, wondering if all the overtime I was putting in at work was getting to me. And then, I saw something. It was barely noticeable. Hell, if I hadn't been scrutinizing every little detail of the neighborhood, I would have missed it. There was this odd sheen in the middle of the road, as though there was a film of clear plexiglass floating in midair. As I approached, I saw tall, oblong shadows standing behind the glass. But when I got on my tippy toes to look over it, all I saw was an empty street. I rubbed my eyes, my thoughts going a mile a minute in a mix of confusion and surface-level horror. Maybe I had fallen asleep after all and this was a dream? I pinched myself and felt the light pain grounding me. I squinted and stretched a hand towards the invisible frame, feeling a prickly sensation on my fingertips 
like the static of an old CRT monitor. Suddenly, one of the figures grew bigger. Or was it moving closer? Just before my fingers could connect with the mysterious sheen, it vanished, as did the elongated figures inside. I was covered in goosebumps. Some from the cold, some from the swirling pit of dread dragging me in like a whirlpool. I turned on my heels and raced home, only to be slowed as a light on the second floor of Christian's house turned on. Behind the window, I saw another oblong silhouette. But when I blinked, Tencel came into focus. She waved at me as I walked up my driveway, but I couldn't bring myself to return the gesture, acting instead like I hadn't seen her, despite my eyes being locked on. I wasn't as quiet as I should have been heading up the stairs to my room, but thankfully my parents didn't seem to be as light sleepers as they used to be. I closed and locked the bedroom door, hiding beneath the covers like I did as a child. I texted Aisha, but got no reply and eventually passed out from pure exhaustion. The morning light woke me well past my normal time. I groggily peeled the blanket off and, for a moment, forgot where I was. My eyes were still blurry and crusted over when I saw a silhouette watching me from the window. I felt a jolt of panic, but as I blinked and rubbed the sleep out of them, the figure seemed to disappear. It wasn't there one moment and gone the other. It more so looked like how a flat decoration slowly rotates into an angle where all you see is a thin line, except it rotated into nothingness. After all the weirdness, I wasn't about to dismiss it as an optical illusion. I rushed to the window and opened it, peering at the snow-covered windowsill. If there had truly been something there, it left no prints, neither on the windowsill nor on the ground far below. As I was scanning the area, I saw Christian through a window on his first floor. He spotted me, smiled, mouthed, hello, neighbor, and waved. I closed the curtains and pinched them permanently shut with a clothespin. As I walked downstairs, I noticed another odd thing. From my angle, I could just about see my mom cooking bacon in the kitchen and my dad sitting on the couch with a newspaper. Neither of them were moving. That is, until I put weight on a creaky step. And suddenly they both came to life and started idly chatting as though they'd been in the middle of a conversation all along. So I said, You call that a meatloaf? I call it murder. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, that's Nicole, all right. Maybe one of these days you can teach her to... Oh, good morning, honey. Holly, honey, is that you? Morning, guys. I can't explain just how utterly unsettling it was. It's like they were waiting for me. Like they'd rehearsed exactly what they were going to say when I walked downstairs. They were putting on a show, but I don't know why. I wish I'd crouched down and waited to see how long they would have stayed motionless for, just so I could definitively know it wasn't just an awkward pause. Honey, would you mind taking the plate back over to Christian? Here, take him and little Tinsel some bacon, why don't you? She started plating a few slabs of the stuff over a napkin on his cookie plate. Hey, hey, hey now, save some for us. Of course, darling. 
As much as I dreaded dealing with Christian again, something about mom and dad's exchange seemed so fake, so trite. Their intonations reminded me of old sitcoms. I almost expected mom to put her hands on her waist, tut, and look at the camera, saying some sort of catchphrase. Though thankfully, she didn't. Either way, I gladly accepted her request to get out of there. Maybe if I left and came back, they'd be normal again, like rebooting a computer. I took the plate and said I'd be right back, while fantasizing about hitching the first ride out of town. Christmas Eve was tomorrow, then Christmas. Then I was free to go. It wasn't as cold outside. An overcast sky had formed a nice barrier against the chill, though it threatened fresh snowfall. I descended the porch steps carefully, one hand clamped tightly on the ramp in case of black ice. As I skated across my parents' driveway and towards Christian's, I suddenly saw something I'd overlooked yesterday. I wondered how I hadn't seen it. But then again, when I came home, I'd been focused on bringing in the Christmas tree, and when I came back in the early hours of the morning, it had been dark, and I'd been looking at tinsel in the window. In the light of day, there was no missing the sprinkling of pine needles from my parents' fence to Christian's garbage can. I approached and found drag marks through the snow like a broom through sand. I knew what I'd find when I removed the lid from the garbage can, but it was no less of a shock to see what looked like a perfectly viable Christmas tree broken down into pieces and crammed all the way to the top. There were a few bags nearby, presumably with the rest of it. I walked to the fence and climbed the small snowbake to investigate the backyard. Sure enough, there were drag marks from the patio door all the way around to the fence. I was right. There had been a Christmas tree in the living room when I'd originally gotten home. But why did they get rid of it? I wanted to storm back inside and demand answers, but I was afraid to know. Maybe there was a logical explanation. Maybe my Alzheimer's theory was right. Maybe they both had it. It could be that Dad told Mom he sent me to buy a tree. And rather than stressing him by reminding him of his memory loss, she let him save face by getting rid of the tree we already had. I don't know. It didn't make sense. None of it made sense. I was still lost in thought when I rang Christian's doorbell, the plate of bacon shaking between my hands. He answered the door in red and white pajamas with a fresh cup of coffee in a holiday mug. Tch, typical. That disgusting, smug grin was still plastered on his face, and I was again overwhelmed with revulsion. Miss Holly, it's nice to see you again. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Brought your plate back. Thank you, that is so kind of you. Would you like to come in for a cup of coffee? I hesitated. Maybe I could ask him about the Christmas tree. Maybe I could snoop a little, find out what he was up to. But before I could answer, Tinsel came running down the stairs, wearing a bright, excited grin. Hi, Holly, we're going sliding today. You want to come? Her voice was shrill and overflowing with eagerness. I have plans. No, please come. I thrust the plate into Christian's hands and turned to leave. I can't. Tinsel, it's okay. Maybe she can come another day. If you change your mind, we'll be on Crescent Hill. Sorry, she's very excitable. Thanks for the plate. Oh, and the bacon. 
To my surprise, he closed the door. I was expecting more of a fight out of him. And no, it's not that I wanted it. It's that its absence made me think this was some sort of reverse psychology thing. Play your games, I thought. I'm not falling for it. Morning at the shop was as peculiar as everything else. Dad tried to use every trick in the book to distract me from the book. He showed me inventory, Christian's woodwork, insisted on a coffee break, another coffee break, a third. The more I pressed him about looking at the numbers, the dodgier he became, until I finally put my foot down and asked forcefully. Oh, oh, right, right, yes, of course. Here you go, Holly. Thanks, Dad. I flipped through the pages, feeling tension mounting. Dad wrung his hands, standing behind me like an eager butler. As I looked at the graphs and the numbers and the columns, my focus kept shifting back to my anxious dad. I could tell why he was nervous. The books were nothing short of gibberish. They looked like props. There was text and numbers and lines and notes in red and black ink, but none of it meant anything. They looked like when a graphic designer puts Lorem Ipsen in a layout as a placeholder. The graphs didn't have any kind of coherent data. They had nonsense as titles, and the increments on the horizontal axes read as random percentages. A full column could say 5%, half a column could say 90%, that kind of stuff. Looking at the lines of the graphs only, they were showing a downward trend as though to indicate financial troubles, but that wasn't saying much. I know it looks bad, but if we have good days today and tomorrow, we should be able to break even this year. What the hell was he even talking about? He was ignoring the nonsense, acting like the scribbles weren't just that. I couldn't help wondering whether I was supposed to play along. Would it upset him if I called him out? Was this part of his suspected illness or something else? I was crawling in my skin. Dad, are you sure you only broke your thumb? There's nothing else going on? <laughs> of course, honey. Hey, I know. Let's grab lunch. Shay Cleveland has a holiday special on the menu today. Dad, what am I holding in my hands? The books? And you can read them? Well, of course. Don't be silly. What do they say? He gave me a sharp, knowing look. One that silently ordered me to stop my inquiries. For the first time in my life, I felt genuinely afraid of my dad, unsure of what he was capable of. I saw something in those eyes that reminded me of Tensel's false joy. His pupils looked so incredibly black and so wide, but somehow not dilated. It was like he was zooming in on me, examining my reaction and anticipating compliance. He wasn't dad anymore. He was an angry boss, a bitter professor, a judgmental DMV clerk. They say you need to work on your handwriting. He dialed back the intensity and smiled hollowly. Right you are, honey. Maybe I'll take up calligraphy when I retire. <sighs> you missed your calling as a doctor. You write like one. Listen, uh... This guy invited me to go sledding, so... A guy, huh? 
Anyone I know? Maybe. But listen, I'm going to be late if I don't head out now. Rain check on lunch? You got it, champ. I shot him a pair of finger guns and slowly backed out of the shop, too nervous to turn my back on him. I wasn't planning on going sledding, if that wasn't obvious enough. But as though he could sense I'd been speaking about him, I just so happened to bump into Christian and his daughter as I scurried off in a hurry. Tinsel was dragging an immaculate sled behind her. It was made of wood and painted a bright crimson, standing out from the snowy sidewalk like a highlighter. At the edge of my vision, I felt something lurking. But I didn't want to look for fear I'd find my dad standing there with that look on his face again. Holly, Holly, are you going sliding with us after all? What? Oh, uh, no. I've got to. I glanced at the shop behind me, and whatever I'd seen hiding just past my blind spot was now gone. I couldn't lie and say I was going to the shop when I'd just been caught running from it. I'm, uh, grabbing lunch for my dad and I. Jingle bells announced the opening of the shop door. Oh, so that's who you're going sledding with. You crazy kids have fun. Careful not to fall in the lake. He waved and closed the door. It was like he'd done it on purpose, I swear. My smile turned crooked as the gears in Tinsel's head started to turn. Christian, meanwhile, stood silently by her, a hand on her shoulder. I knew it! You're coming sledding! You're coming sledding! Your daddy ruined the surprise, huh? Surprise? Right. This time, I didn't fight whatever forces were conspiring against me. As we walked to Crescent Hill, Tinsel talked my ear off about this and that while Christian kept unnaturally silent. I hadn't gone to Crescent Hill Park since I was a kid. It was a nice place with a, you guessed it, Crescent Hill. At the bottom of the hill, but a fair enough distance from it, was a lake where I used to spend my summers growing up. Last time I'd seen it, it had been buried beneath a blanket of autumn leaves. We only had one sled between the three of us, and Tinsel took the first ride down, leaving me alone with Christian. She sure is rambunctious. My daughter was always a quiet kid. <laughs> Not anymore, huh? He didn't answer. Instead, he looked deeply uncomfortable. Tinsel began her ascent back to join us. She sure can climb, though. It sure can. I caught that. I turned to look at him, but before I could open my mouth to reply, Tinsel launched herself at Christian and tackled him to the ground, giggling loudly. Let's make snow angels. Our afternoon was spent going up and down Crescent Hill. And while I would never say I had fun, I will say I hadn't gone sledding in a long time, and it was a little, just the tiniest bit, refreshing. Don't get me wrong, every minute not spent alone on the sleigh was torturous and tedious. Whenever I was alone on top of the hill with Tinsel or Christian, I dreamt of throwing myself into a precipice. When the sun started to set, Tinsel tugged on Christian's coat. Daddy, Daddy, we should go skating on Crescent Lake. We can't. The ice isn't deep enough yet. But, Daddy... We can go to the square tomorrow. How about that? The rink should be ready. Fine. Holly, 
Holly, are you gonna come skating with us? I'm only in town for another two days. I'm spending them with my folks. I was offered, and reluctantly agreed to, a ride back home. Since, you know, neighbors and all. Back home, I spoke nothing of the incident at the store. We made small talk again, with mom retelling a bunch of stories she'd already told yesterday. Around eight, we heard carolers, and wouldn't you know it, front and center was Tinsel with Christian hiding in the back of the group as though embarrassed he was even participating. As mom and dad showered them with praise, I wondered how long they'd be gone for, glancing at their house. I sighed. The urge to break and enter? What was Pinegrove doing to me? As the carolers walked off, Christian lagged behind and motioned for me to come close. I just wanted to thank you for being so kind to Tinsel today. I haven't seen her so happy since her mother died. Maybe I could thank you properly with brunch? How's 10 tomorrow sound? I don't... Oh, Christian is such an amazing cook. You should go. Your dad and I can take care of ourselves. Fine. Sure. Awesome. I know where you live. He flashed a smile and grabbed my hand, this time to shake it. I felt the edges of a piece of paper poking into my palm and closed my fingers around it. That kind of covert note-passing smelled of mystery and intrigue. But I wondered whether it was a dick pic on a Polaroid. He seemed the type. It wasn't, though, and I only found out later that night by the light of my smartphone under the covers. I was surprised to find a rather cryptic play along and nothing else. Well, that's a bit of a lie. There was more on the other side but it was clear he'd used the back of a grocery list to write his note. I mean, unless there's a hidden code in the words turkey, stuffing, butter, and so on. I dreaded waking up the morning of Christmas Eve, knowing full well I was in for another day of oddities. I looked up the bus schedule, but there was nothing until the 26th, and I'd promised my folks I'd be here for Christmas. I didn't want to break that promise unless absolutely necessary. The house was dead quiet, and I thought I'd find my parents frozen again, but they were in bed. I sat on the couch downstairs watching the snowfall, going over everything that had happened in my head. A disappearing bus, repeating noises, parents acting odd, creepy stalker neighbor, that weird sheen I'd seen and the figures inside. They must have been connected somehow, but I couldn't quite figure out how. One thing was for sure. If anyone had answers, it was Christian. Something told me he was at the center of it all. Some sort of puppet master pulling all the strings. I'd wait until he was distracted, and then snoop around, hopefully uncovering some answers. Come brunch time, Tensel opened their front door before I even had the chance to knock. Holly, Holly, you came. Can't resist brunch, I guess. Come in, I'll show you my room. From the kitchen, Christian called out. Morning, Holly. Make yourself at home. I'll have pancakes ready in a bit. I barely had time to knock the boots off my feet and put away my coat before Tinsel dragged me up the stairs to her unicorn vomit bedroom. Everything was sunshine and rainbows. Most people have one favorite color. She picked all of them. 
She started showing me her dolls one by one, prattling on about their names and backstory while I looked for clues. A picture frame caught my eye. What's this? That's me, Mom and Dad skating on Crescent Lake. I love skating there in the winter. It reminds me of Mom. She grabbed the frame and shoved it in my face eagerly. She's pretty, just like you. I scrutinized the image, my face twisting as I noticed a bit of photoshopping going on. Not on the dead wife, not on Christian, but on Tinsel. Her head had been composited on. Granted, maybe she'd blinked and they'd used a different photo where her eyes were open. In a vacuum, that would have been the simplest and most probable explanation. Right now, it wasn't. Something was going on with that freak, Christian. Tinsel, Holly, pancakes are ready. Tinsel gasped and grabbed my arm, pulling me back towards the stairs. I tugged back. You go on ahead. I need to wash up. Where's the bathroom? Tinsel pointed at a door across the hall. She waggled her brows. Are you putting makeup on to impress Daddy? Something like that. This seemed to please her and she skipped down the stairs two at a time. I did not go into the door across the hall. Instead, I tried the street side room. If this house was configured remotely like my parents, that was the master bedroom. I was right. You know what they say about skeletons. I figured if he had any, the closet is where they'd be. I quietly opened the door, and while I didn't find skeletons... I found the closest thing. The walls were lined with photos of women. They were peeking out between row upon row of lumberjack plaid shirts. They looked to be in some sort of chronological order. Always around Christmas. Always with him, Tinsel, and one of many women in the shot. Dozens of them. Their smiles seemed strained and pained. I started to hyperventilate. I was right. I was freaking right about this guy all along. And if I wasn't careful, I'd probably be the next trophy on his wall. God, where did he bury them all? How had no one else noticed this going on in such a small town? Why did poor Tensel think of all these women coming in and out of her life? No wonder she was an attention-seeking weirdo. As soon as I regained enough composure, I backed away from the closet and tried to plan my escape get out of the house, call the cops, all that jazz. However, that plan hit the floor right when a spatula did. Christian was standing in the hallway, mouth agape, looking like he'd seen Bigfoot himself walk out of his closet in lingerie. He was so stunned he'd been found out that he didn't even fight back when I shoved him on my way down the hall to escape. Get out of the house, go somewhere public, call the cops. I told myself as I stumbled down the stairs and fumbled my way into my boots. Coat be damned. He only started chasing me once I reached the entranceway, and by then, I felt confident my head start would be good enough to outrun him. It's not what you think. I didn't have the car keys. My parents were acting strange. Years of power walking through New York City dumbly made me think I could run to the nearest shop without issue. I wasn't banking on the thick, fresh snowfall to be such a hindrance, but it was. Holly, wait, I can explain. His footsteps were gaining on me at lightning speed. He was born to run in the snow. It probably contributed to his ease in catching victims. 
How many women had he offed anyways? There were so many photos, I hadn't had time to count. I cursed my heels for slowing me down. I cursed myself for not zipping the boots up, because the fabric kept folding to the side and my feet kept nearly slipping out. Christian grabbed me by the shoulder, and as he turned me, I reared my opposite arm back to clock him right in his stupid dimpled face. Just as I was about to, however, I was momentarily blinded by a flicker of light to my left. In my periphery stood an ovular figure with inhuman proportions. The same kind I had seen in the middle of the road the other night, and at the window yesterday morning, and in the storefront in the afternoon. I could tell by the wash of paleness on Christian's face and the sudden stalling of his breath that he could see it, whatever it was, too. It was standing so close to us that if I were to just reach my hand out, I'd touch it without even needing to unfold my arm. I could feel strands of my hair being pulled towards it by, I'm not sure what, its breath? Static? The grip on my shoulder tightened, but Christian's motive suddenly felt less possessive and more like, I almost want to say, paternal protectiveness? He was scared. I could hear it in his voice and read it in his eyes, which silently pled for me to follow the instructions on his note. Play along, I recalled. I swear, I wasn't trying to buy the store out from under your dad. What? He seemed so small all of a sudden. From the start, I'd felt he'd been putting on an act. But when the curtain fell and I finally peeked behind it, I didn't see a predator. I saw prey. Somehow, deep down inside of me, I understood that I wasn't his audience. His audience was whatever was standing next to us now. Oh, uh, right. The store. I knew your family was having financial troubles. Gloria, my deceased wife, left money in her will with a bequest to help a family every Christmas for the rest of my life. My eyes began to drift towards the figure standing over us. But Christian's free arm quickly clamped down on my shoulder and gave me a little shake, as though trying to refocus my attention. And this year, you decided to help my family? That's right. I was going to give the deed to your store right back to your family. It's under your Christmas tree right now, in a red envelope signed Santa. I try to do these things anonymously. The thing at the edge of my vision leaned closer. My skin on that side prickled uncomfortably. I shuddered. Oh, oh, look, you're freezing. You ran out so fast you didn't even grab your coat. He unhooked his scarf and wrapped it around my shoulders, pulling me closer. I got the impression it was best not to fight him. Repugnant as he was, he knew what that thing was and why it was watching. His Adam's apple bobbed in a hard swallow. That's very kind of you. To, uh, to watch out for my folks, I mean. It's what Gloria would have wanted. Hey, why don't you come back? We can finish brunch. I can show you my studio. His eye twitched at the word studio, a kind of half-wink of someone too afraid to do it overtly. Sure, Christian. I'd love that. The shape beside us finally pulled back and disappeared. Christian let out a sigh of relief, shoulders dropping. He let go of me, but kept the act. Great. I'm working on a new sculpture right now. It's top secret, though. I walked beside him, 
my arms wrapped around myself for warmth as we returned to his house. Tinsel was waiting on the front step, wearing a feigned, worried look. You're back! We cleared everything up. Let's eat. And eat we did, though I was too focused on Christian's micro-expressions to pay full attention to the conversation. Every time Tinsel spoke, I noticed the slightest twinge of discomfort in him. He'd smile and laugh, but all of it seemed forced. I no longer thought he was hiding molars in the air ducts. The kind of fear I'd seen outside is hard to fake, and whatever that thing was, Christian had been absolutely terrified of it. After brunch, we did the dishes, and I subtly snuck one of their knives into my jacket pocket in case I needed it. Once we were done, Christian sent Tinsel downstairs to work on her project, making big exaggerated winks at her as she tittered, nodded, and stormed off. As soon as she was out of sight, he motioned for me to follow, leading me back to his closet. The door shut behind us, and I knew right then and there that this was a sink or swim moment. Either I was getting murdered, or getting answers. All right, you've got two minutes to convince me you're not a serial killer. Serial killer? Why the hell do you think I'm a- I motioned to the countless photos plastered on the walls. Um, all of this? Oh, right. What's going on here? He paced nervously. The fact that he turned his back to me so frequently was reassuring. But all the same, I kept a hand wrapped around the handle of the concealed knife in my pocket, just in case he came at me. We're stuck here. All of us. Yeah, you too. Us? As in, you and your harem of probably dead women buried in your backyard? Us, as in all of Pinegrove. (sighs) I don't know how to explain. Start by telling me who these women are. They're you. Me? Well, not you, you. They were playing the same role as you in previous years. Role? (sighs) That thing we saw earlier when we were outside, well, there's more of them. I call them the Watchers. They orchestrated this whole thing. We're a... It's like we're stuck in a cheesy Christmas movie. They decide who plays which role, trigger certain events, and follow us almost everywhere. For example, the uh, the other day with the Christmas tree... That was supposed to be a meet-cute moment. Yes, exactly. And then Tinsel was supposed to make you think I was married, and Santa was supposed to say I was single, and we should have gone for a walk that evening and connected, but, well, you weren't on script. The women never are. I guess it's to keep the romance organic. I don't know. So all these women are... They were protagonists, like you. I find it hard to believe they didn't clue into the weird shit going on. Oh, they did. Some quicker than others, but I'm supposed to be perfect for them. You know, distract them and all. (laughs) Okay there, Captain Big Ego. No offense, but you ain't all that. I mean, to be fair, this isn't what I really look like. They, the Watchers, they put some sort of veneer on people. Make everyone and everything look like the best versions of themselves. I mean, you think these rock-hard abs are natural or the dimples? No, I'm like, I was a tubby guy, a bit short, balding. He brushed aside a row of hanging shirts, revealing an aged photo of himself, a little girl, and a brown-haired woman wrapped in an embrace. Christian had the same eyes, but his cheeks were fuller. His hair was thinner and messier, 
and he was wearing a band tee with sweatpants. He looked kind of dorky, but frankly, better than he did standing in front of me now. But the girl... Huh? That's not Tinsel. Who is she? His expression became solemn. Her name was Elisa. She was quiet and very shy. She was the sweetest kid. And then they... They recast her. Said she wasn't outgoing enough. Oh. They said if I played along, they'd eventually return her and my wife. But at this point, I... I I don't think either of them are alive anymore. I haven't seen them in years. I'm sorry. That's... awful. I think the same thing happened to your parents. I don't think it's really them next door. What? But Tensel doesn't look a thing like Alyssa. My parents still... If they liked everything else about your parents, they probably swapped them out for body doubles. With Elisa, they felt her character was wrong, so they just completely recast her. It really depends on their vision, so to speak. I don't know. My parents have been acting strange, but... I feel like I'd know if it wasn't really them. Maybe. I can't always tell when people are playing along or brainwashed or when they've been replaced or what. I think most of us are just playing our roles until someone resists and then... And then the bad things happen. That's why you've got to play along. If we can finish this story, I'm sure they'll let us go. I can't take it anymore, Holly. I can't take it year after year after year. He began slamming his palm against the photos, tears welling in his eyes. I couldn't imagine the guilt he felt. They always freak out when they find out. Their families and I try to calm them down, but if... But when we can't... He raked his fingers through his hair. I can still hear their screams as they're hollowed out. Those things slip under their skin and they force us to finish the story but it's never good enough for them they say it doesn't feel genuine they say we have to start over they need a perfect ending they need the emotion the realism they can't emote like we do they're too one note i think i don't know so anyway we reset the script is tweaked a few minor changes some major ones and next december it's a new woman Why don't you leave? I've seen what happens when the Watchers catch runners. The farthest anyone's ever gotten was the bus station. So please, 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 for your own sake, please, when we leave this closet, just play along. Follow my lead. We can make it through this. He watched me with pleading eyes while mine wandered to the photographs. They weren't trophies after all. They were tombstones. I stood in silence, processing. Once silence had hung in the air for far too long, I finally replied. So, what happens next? In the story, I mean. I sensed rekindled hope in him. We're supposed to fight about the deed to your dad's store. I know we mentioned it outside, but we can do a retake. Then, this evening, while we're not on speaking terms, I'll come in a panic and tell you that Tinsel's missing. We're supposed to go looking for her and make up in the process. And then, let me guess, we find her? At Crescent Lake, yes. She'll be skating on her own, and just as we get there, the ice will break. I rolled my eyes. And we'll have to work together to get her out of the water, 
Precisely. And then we bring her home? Mm Mm-hmm. We clear up the misunderstanding, and she shows us the project she's working on right now. Some dumb art mobile thing with mistletoe. Somehow it gets uglier every year. Don't ask me how. And then we kiss. And then we kiss. Hmm. What are you thinking? They can't hear us here, right? The, um, watchers? That's why you brought me into your closet, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm allowed this one small bit of privacy. And your watcher friends? They've stopped anyone trying to escape? Many times, yes. And it was obvious they were escaping? Well, I... Yeah, they were screaming and speeding and whatnot. Christian Shepard, I have a proposition for you. I'm listening. You're saying tonight, Tinsel's going missing, and we're supposed to search for her? Yeah. So, technically, it'd be perfectly normal for us to drive around. Maybe set up a very wide perimeter? It looked like a light bulb had just been lit. Yes, I suppose it would. Things only started being weird once I got to Pine Grove. I have a feeling we're gold as soon as we're outside. I think you're right. How good are your acting skills? Decent enough. I've had a lot of practice. Good. Tonight, when you come to my house, we're getting in my car. I'll say I think I know where she went. And even though we know exactly where she is, we're not going to go to Crescent Lake, are we? No siree. I think Tinsel might be playing at the park across the bus station. That does seem like a very tinselly thing to do. It would only be responsible to look there first. Don't you agree? I concur. And then, well, what's to say one of us doesn't think we spotted her down the road out of town? Pine Grove is very dark at night, and it will be snowing. One could definitely confuse a tree for a little girl. We wouldn't want to leave her out in the cold for too long. No. No, we wouldn't. So... It only makes sense to drive outside the town limits to pick her up. And by then, we're home free. And by then, we're home free. He let out a long sigh of relief, like a balloon sputtering its air out. I'll stop by at eight. I look forward to it. We worked out a few more details before precious, dearest Tinsel, who I loved so very deeply and would do anything for called us to say she was done with her secret project. And then, Christian accidentally revealed the deed to my family store. We had a fake fight, and I spent the afternoon home with my parents, trying to secretly discern whether they were truly themselves. They dodged a few too many specific questions about my childhood for me to have faith in them. I was going to have to leave them behind, for now. The doorbell rang, and out in the cold snow and wind stood Christian. He was covered in sweat, his face twisted in worry. I wasn't sure whether he was that good of an actor or if it was nerves. Listen, Holly, I need your help. I sneered at him. An act, of course. I know you're upset, but Tinsel, she's... Did something happen to little Tinsel? Oh dear, I hope not. My parents... If they were my parents, feigned concern. I can't find her. I've looked everywhere. Her coat and boots are missing. I think she went out. Oh, my goodness gracious. In this snowstorm? We need to find her, and fast. I think I know where she went. 
Mom, Dad, stay here in case she comes back. Can I borrow the car? Yes, of course, honey. Here are the keys, honey. She tossed them to me, and I hurried out the door, muttering something about the clock ticking and for Christian to get in the passenger seat. I felt watched as I backed out of the driveway. No, not only by my parents, who were standing by the living room window, hands clamped on their chests in worry, but by something more. They, the watchers, the oblong figures, were hidden in the reflections of every house window going all the way down the road, like perverted cameramen chomping at the bit to get the money shot. I naively hadn't expected them to pay such close attention, and the fact that they did meant I was going to have to be extra vigilant in my wording and acting. When I was Tinsel's age, I ran away from home. Really? My parents were so worried. They called all my friends, but no one had seen me. They feared the worst. Turns out I'd gone to the park because my parents wouldn't take me. I never planned on leaving, leaving. I just wanted to play. They were so relieved when they found me, but it changed them. They were nicer to me, got me anything I asked for, started smothering me. It was one little afternoon adventure for me, but it left scars on them that lingered for years. They thought they'd failed me as parents. What I'm trying to say is, don't worry, we'll find Tinsel. Whatever you think her motivations are, I'm sure she just wants to have fun. It's not your fault. Don't feel like a failure as a father. These things happen. I reached over and grabbed his hand, giving it a reassuring squeeze. Yeah, the story was complete bullshit, but whatever. No one was going to fact check me. Uh, Oh, thank you. Anyways, I think she's at the park. It's where I went. It makes sense for her to go there. Yeah, let's start there. We passed no other cars and saw no one. Not human, at least, on that snowy drive to the bus station. Through the speckles of white, I'd periodically spied tall silhouettes standing in the cones of streetlights as though assessing us, like controllers watching students take a test. It was okay. We had a plan. By Christmas morning, I was certain we'd be miles away from Pine Grove and their oppressive hold on everything and everyone within. All we needed to do was stick to the plan. We arrived at the bus station and stopped at the park across the street. There were no footsteps on the thickening blanket of snow, but that didn't matter. We weren't really looking for Tensel. We called her name and investigated the nooks and crannies of the plastic play structures. I could see the town limit so close by, just a short jog away. But I knew if we rushed things, we'd call too much attention to ourselves. I hadn't accounted for the watchers to become so brazen. They were drawing closer, watching with anticipation. I wondered if Christian's closet wasn't as private as we thought and that they were on to us. The good thing was, at least none of them were standing beyond the mouth of Pine Grove. She's not here. Where could she have gone? Keep looking. I'm sure she's... Wait! I ran over to him and pointed at the horizon, squinting my eyes. I think I saw her by the tree line. Get in the car! Static filled my ears. Christian's face turned pale. Something was looming over my head, and I could feel its shadow on me. A prickling sensation on my shoulders and the light tug of my hair elicited a mental image of an adult 
holding their child from behind, hands clamped on their shoulders. But whatever it was doing, I got the distinct impression I wasn't the intended recipient of its silent threat. Maybe she went to Crescent Lake? She was talking about going skating. I almost lost my nerve, too. But we were so close. So close. And though he had a script, I did not. I felt that, as long as Christian wasn't the one veering off their course, they wouldn't make a move. No, I saw her. I'm sure of it. Let's just check it out. And if it's not her, we'll try the lake. Oh, okay. We hurried to the car. I was distressed to hear a third car door thunk close. I could see it in my rearview mirror. It was sitting right behind me. It looked like it was there and not at the same time, in a way words can't do justice. It looked like every object you mistake for a figure standing in your bedroom at night. Every coat on a hook, every chair, every shadow on the wall. But unlike those things, there was no way for my eyes to make sense of it. It never turned into a full, monstrous figure. It stayed in that state of flux before the lights turn on, where the object either is or isn't a monster. Christian tried to mouth something, and while I couldn't make it out, his eyes said it all. He was begging me to turn around and go back into town. My hands were shaking as I gripped the steering wheel and slowly hit the gas. Ice and snow crinkled and crackled beneath the chassis. It took every single ounce of courage to smile. Don't worry, I'm sure it's her. The thing in the back seat leaned forward. My ears were buzzing, but I kept our trajectory. Just a few yards, I told myself. The snowfall was growing thicker, and I couldn't help thinking of the storm on the Truman Show. Wasn't this proof that we were reaching the false ceiling? It gave me renewed strength. That is, until we were maybe 20 feet from freedom. Daddy, you found me. I was hiding here this whole time. The shape in the back seat had taken form. The voice was Tinsel's, but at a glance, she looked more like Christian's true daughter. What was her name again? E something. Ellie? Elizabeth? Elisha! Christian had lost sight of the objective, figuratively and literally. He twisted around to look at the back seat, eyes wide and full of hope. Like, dude, you did just see it was one of your watcher things, yeah? How could you be so flipping gullible? I wanted to smack him, but I was too afraid to release the steering wheel. The road was getting worse. Daddy? Daddy? Ugh! The voice wasn't normal. It had that light static behind it. Like a, I don't know, like an old radio show. Minus the hokey announcer. That's not her, dude. Daddy, don't go. I'm right here. As much as I wanted to hit the gas, I couldn't. Otherwise, we'd spin out. Fuck. Elisa? Daddy. Christian, I swear, I'm going to ring your jingle bells if you don't focus. That's not your girl. But... Daddy. Daddy, don't go. They'll hurt me. My hair was being pulled by static again. She was leaning right up to my seat. I could only see white outside, but I knew all I needed to do was to keep going in a straight line. Christian! My name's Jeff. Cool! 
Not the time! Goosebumps spread across the right side of my body. She was reaching over me. Her abnormally long, stick-like but fleshy fingers just barely entering my line of sight. She was trying to grab the steering wheel. Christian, Jeff, whatever your name is, you want out, right? But... Right? Yes. No, Daddy, we can finally be together. I didn't let her finish her sentence, nor did I let her grab the steering wheel. Safe or not, I twisted left sharply, causing the car to veer and for her to slump right. Should have worn your seatbelt, you creepy fuck! I reached into my jacket pocket to the knife I'd borrowed earlier. As soon as she recovered and tried for the steering wheel again, I swiped at her. Wherever it hit, the appearance of flesh turned back into that indiscernible blanket of darkness. I tried to simultaneously defend myself while also riding the car, all in zero visibility with a very conflicted passenger. I know I'm coming off like, oh, I'm very badass, and on the verge of throwing out quips like, how about you, Felice Navi, don't! But I promise you, I was petrified and reacting mostly out of pure survival instinct. Give it. Focus on the road. He grabbed the knife, and I let him have it. Christian finally sprung to action, unbuckling himself from his seat. I didn't see exactly what he did to her, whether he got her in the heart or in the head or someplace else. But wherever the knife hit, it clearly did something. She let out the shrill, high-pitched noise of a TV emergency alert. Suddenly, it was like the sky opened. The curtains of snow that had pelted us moments prior were now dissipating, showing a nice, clear road ahead. It disappeared. What? I looked behind me, and all I could see was the knife sitting on the back seat and the Welcome to Pine Grove sign ten feet down the road. Tension left my shoulders, and Christian sat back. We drove in silence as the fake smell of pines faded and until the mountains were far behind us. We'd done it. We were safe. The Heart Channel proudly presents a breathtaking holiday tale. She was a small-town financial advisor who didn't believe in Christmas. Holly, how come you don't like Christmas? It's the most wonderful time of the year. My husband Christian died in a terrible car crash on Christmas Eve, leaving me to raise our daughter Tinsel all alone. Christmas hasn't been the same since. He was a British architect from out of town. He could build homes, but could he rebuild her heart? How could you do this to me, Edward? You made me fall in love with you, knowing you'd leave me to move to Kenya to help build homes for impoverished youth. Holly, please, you don't understand. I was hoping you and Tinsel would join me. Oh, Edward. Oh, Holly. But when a chance meeting reignites an old childhood flame, choosing her true love becomes complicated. Which one do you like most? That's the problem, Aisha. Edward is exciting, handsome, and everything I ever wanted. I could move to Kenya with him and live a life of adventure. 
Now that sounds great. But Taylor, Taylor was always kind to me growing up. Taylor reminds me of Christian in many ways. He's comfortable and easy to be around. Ooh, child, sounds like you need to start a harem. <laughs> <laughs> She's got 12 days of Christmas to decide. <gasps> Someone's been a very good girl this year. Looks like you received two gifts. Santa! A Christmas in Pine Grove 2. Merry Christmas to you too. You have been listening to the Christmas 2020 bonus episode presented by the No Sleep Podcast. A Christmas at Pine Grove was written by Manon Lysette and starred Sarah Thomas as Holly Evergreen. Featuring performances by Mike Delgadio, Nicole Goodnight, Nicole Doolin, Danielle McRae, Jeff Clement, Jesse Cornett, Dan Zapula, David Alt, and David Cummings. The main story was produced by Phil Mikulski, and the TV trailers at the start and end were produced by Jeff Clement. Original musical score composed by Brandon Boone. Thank you for being a supportive Season Pass member. The entire No Sleep Podcast family wishes you and yours the very best of the holidays and a happy new year. This audio production is copyright 2020 by Creative Reason Media Inc. All rights reserved. The copyright for this story is held by Men and Lysette. No duplication or reproduction of this audio program is permitted without the written consent of Creative Reason Media, Inc.